Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. Good to see you all, and I uh, hope you had a wee lie-in this morning. All the early birds were out at half nine, so um, it's really good to be together. We're on our foundations theme, and what we've been looking at over the last wee while, as you know, is the whole idea of churches, uh, Paul's church planting mechanism, I suppose, for want of a better word, how he, he, he preached the gospel. He found like strategic places. For him, it was usually cities, but found strategic places, planted churches, then sort of handed it over to faithful men and kept that Pauline cycle going. And then what we started to do was look at what he actually taught. What did Paul actually teach these early churches? What was his foundational, hence the, the title, what was his foundational teaching to these cities or to these churches? And we talked a little bit about stuff that you need to put off and stuff that you need to put on. Remember, we did Galatians 5, the lust of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And then we talked quite a little bit on relationships, the whole, the whole way on which we should relate to each other as the body of Christ, not just as the church family, but in family relationships as well, and in marriage and stuff like that. We talked about that. And then it's quite interesting then what Paul actually teaches these early churches as well in being a true community is how actually to, re- to, to submit to government authority, how to, how to come under authority. Now, quite interesting that I had never actually preached on this ever. Um, we've referred to it many, many times, but I've never preached a sermon on it. I spoke to Alan on Friday night, and Alan, I, says, I rang Alan Friday, I said, Alan, have we ever done anything in government? Do you have any notes or any, um, like we do, Dave and Alan and I, a little bit if we're preaching on a subject? And, and he says, no, I've never preached on it either. And so we, um, we, we've touched on it, but um, the, so today I'm going to try my best to give you a biblical viewpoint of what it means to submit to government authority, all right, with the best I can. I know that some of you will probably disagree with this, um, and that's okay, no bother at all. Um, it'd be good to have a, a, a conversation about it. You know, you can't, you can't really determine what confronts you in life, but you can actually, um, you can determine what follows you. I love this verse in Psalm 23. So while we, we, we're not dead sure what lies ahead of us, and things will come into our life that will actually steer us different directions, but they, they, they can't define us. Because surely goodness and mercy as a believer will follow you all the days of your life. You need to know that. All the days of your life. Anybody watch Britain's Got Talent last night? Give me a wee show. Come on. Come on. I'm bound to be more than that. Come on. Anybody cry? Oh, don't leave me alone. Ah, Heidi, come on. You're in my team. Um, So... uh, um, in Britain's Got Talent last night, there was a, the, the group from, maybe those who saw it, saw the group from Manchester, and the, the girl was involved in the Manchester bomb and lost her aunt in it, and um, she's in a wheelchair, obviously got damaged to feet and legs, and um, it was a, 
obviously in the whole group had come together to put together this sort of dance for her. And it was just a beautiful redemption of tragedy. But Amanda Holton said, I'm going to quote Amanda Holton this morning. Amanda Holton said a really good thing at the end of it. She said that, um, that, that circumstances can change your life and shape your life but they can't define your life. I thought, good on you, Amanda. agree with that. So, um, so there's, something about, there's something about allowing who we are to define who we are. Now there, and, and, and so um, there's something that happens when we come under authority. There's something that happens uh, that, that define us. And there are sort of four types of authority that are referred to in the Bible. There's probably more, but defining them into these four groups is probably the easiest way. And so there's civil authority, social authority, church authority, and family authority. And we understand those things. We understand how those work. But it seems to me, the more I read Scripture, I don't know why I'm doing that with my hands at the minute, but I um, just sort of swimming a little bit there. So, um, sorry. Uh, when we keep authority, there is something in Scripture that brings reward. There's something in God that brings reward. When we come under authority, there's an alignment that happens, and we come into line with authority. There is blessing that comes with it, all right? There's no doubt about that. Jesus said this himself in, in John 15, 14. He said, you are my friends if, if, we word, huge meaning, if you keep my commands. So there was something about reward that happened. So I'm only going to touch on one today. Obviously, I'm going to touch on the civil authority. And confidence in politics isn't brilliant at the moment. We've got Brexit here in Britain. We've got our American friends having, aren't having a wonderful time either. We've got a war in Syria. At this moment in time, we have more refugees looking asylum than the world seems able to cope with. And I'm just glad that I'm a believer. And I'm glad that God is in control, and I'm glad that God has a plan. And the plan is you and I. This plan to, to um, bring redemption is about um, us, the church. And God uh, loves the church. And when Paul writes in Ephesians 5, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And he loved her that much that he Give himself for her. It's incredible. It's incredible. And so it's this person, Jesus, who is the head of the church. We're told that over and over again in the New Testament that Christ is the head of the church. So he's the head and we are the body. We are the functional items of this church. Our hands, our feet, our mouths, our heart is what God has to win this nation. So do I believe that um, civic authorities and governments will rewrite the story of our city? No, I don't. Do I believe the governments of this world will change the world? No, I don't. Do I believe they're put there in place by God to rule and reign? Yes, I do. But they're going to die, like you and I. But we're part of a kingdom. You see, this man, Jesus, made a couple of statements while he was here on earth. The first one he made was this, I will build my church. I love the little personal bit there, I. He said, of all the things that Jesus could be doing on planet earth, he says, this one thing I'm here for, I'm here to build my church. And he says, the gates of hell, the very stalwarts of hell itself, cannot prevail against it. And then in, in uh, John 18, he says, my kingdom is not of this world, he said. I don't belong to this world. My kingdom's not of this world. If it were, servants would fight and prevent my arrest by Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another 
place. This most famous person who lived in history uh, is the most, person, the most famous person who ever lived in the history of the world. And this man, Jesus Christ, and he is the head of the church. And his followers take upon them the name Christian, which means little Christ or Christ-like or Christ-ones. And simply and collectively, we comprise what Jesus called the church. The church is not a building. It's not a club. It's not a committee. It's not man-made. It's not defined on man's terms. It's not a particular worship style or it's not a denomination. It's not politics. It is the church. It's incredibly powerful. It's a kingdom. And the big idea of God is that the church is the sovereign will of God. It's the purpose of God. And it's a central fact of his will. And you and I are the church. And that's what will rewrite the story of our cities and nations. So, if we belong to another kingdom, um, are we supposed to submit to this one? That's a big question, isn't it? Um, are we supposed to submit to the authority that we live under here on earth? Well, let's look at some of the scriptures and see what they say. Romans 13, I'm going to be referring to it quite a bit this morning. It's one of the probably key passages on civil authority. And so, first of all, here's what Paul writes to the church at Rome. He says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. That seems pretty clear, doesn't it? And then in Peter, Peter picks up on it as well, and he writes this. He says, For the Lord's sake, respect all human authority, whether the king is the head of state, or the officials he has appointed. So, how do we support a government that funds abortions? How do we do that? How do we um, fund a government that will, um, that will allow unborn babies to be mutilated and murdered? How do, we, how do we fund that? Do we withhold our taxes? Is that a good idea? Is that what we do? Do we show protests in that? That would sort of show them, wouldn't it? Should we disobey the government because it's doing things contrary to the beliefs of Christians? Should we break the law in order to take our stand for what the Bible teaches? These are all massive questions that I am going to attempt to try and answer for you this morning. Should we break the law to stop the slaughter of innocent babies? How do we decide? After the first service, there was a lady who came up from the States and said, you know, what's your, what's your view on the gun laws in America? Well, there you go. There's another one. You know, um, what do we do about that? You loads of children are being murdered in, in schools because of the gun laws, the openness of gun laws in the States. So what do we do? What do we do in case like that? How do we stop that slaughter? Well, Paul, I actually think, addresses these kinds of issues in Romans 13. He's been talking about relationship with the world um, around us as Christians, and he's told us of the need to love one another, even our enemies who pers persecute us. And he's saying this, he's saying, don't get overpowered by their evil, but overcome evil with your good. Don't let their evil overpower you, but overcome their evil with your good. What is the good? What is he talking about? Well, it's love. That's the biggest weapon that the believer has. It's the agape love, love that doesn't need uh, a reason, love that doesn't need a response, love that doesn't need you to scratch my back if I scratch yours. It's agape love. It's love that is beyond. It's like the Deuteronomy 7, 7 love. I didn't love you, God says to Israel, because you were the biggest and best nation of all. As a matter of fact, he said you were the smallest and weakest, but I loved you because I loved you. 
Love, true agape love, doesn't need a reason. So how do we relate to the world's institution, particularly those who have authority over us? Um, and I think some of the Christians in Rome, when Paul was writing this, were probably thinking the exact same thing. You see, when the Christian church was born, um, it was viewed by the Roman government as a religious sect within Judaism. And as such, it enjoyed protection um, as a legal religion. But something happened. The church exploded after Acts 2. 3,000 people saved and baptized in the one day. A few pages over with 4,000 people getting saved. Actually, by the time you come to Acts 6, the, the apostles, the very apostles chosen of God, can't cope with the growth. They're saying, guys, there's, the, the widows are coming. Our compassion project's falling down around us. We're, we're not getting the, the food out. And, and some people are getting more than they need. And some people aren't getting enough. And, and, and we're going to have to do something about this. This phenomenal growth has taken over and it's powerful. And because of that, it began to almost form a character. Well, it didn't almost. It did. It began to form a character of its own, and it began to challenge the Roman worship. It began to challenge the Roman emperor, and it's lost its protection. And now Christians, when Paul is writing, are facing a more hostile government, and how are they supposed to handle that? And it's within this context that Paul writes with his exhortation to submit which means to be subject or take proper rank and order and place under authority. That's what the word submit means. And he wants us to be absolutely sure about this. So in Romans 13, he says this. He, he says it two ways. First of all, he says it negatively. He says, for there is no authority except from God. And then he repeats the same statement on the flip side of the coin positively. And he said, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. So no authorities are there without God and all of them are there because of God. Sort of like the flip side, he's making this doubly sure. And the truth is found through the Bible. Whatever process is followed um, to choose by human rulers, they're ultimately placed in their positions by God, and that goes even for the most vilest of them as well as the most virtuous. And you say, Phil, how can you say that? Well, here's a couple of verses. Daniel, uh, in the Old Testament, um, the prophet Daniel makes it very clear. He, God, removes kings and raises up kings. And God himself reinforced the same truth two chapters later to King Nebuchadnezzar when he said this. He said, the most high rules in the kingdom of man gives it to whomever he will and sets it over the lowest of men. So there's no question about it that the powers that be are ordained by a holy God. If you say, well, Phil, those two verses are in the Old Testament Glad you brought that up, because here's one in the New Testament. He comes again in Romans 13 too, and he says, The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, listen to this, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Now that's hard for us to swallow. So we asked the question this morning, does that include Adolf Hitler? Does that include, include Joseph Stalin? Does that include leaders like um, Saddam Hussein, Idi Amin? Does that include all those leaders? May I remind you, the government that was in power, when Paul wrote this, it was a cruel dictatorship. Ruled for the benefit of the elite in Rome. It raped the Roman Empire. Most of the people throughout the empire lived in conquered nations occupied by these Roman troops. Soldiers were constantly sent off in their little foreign 
missions primarily for the glory. All of this was brought into the glory and the pomp of the emperor and his generals. I, I, I found this out in my exploits this week as I did some research on this. 60 million people were in slavery um, by the Roman Empire at this time. 60 million people were in slavery at the whim of their master to do whatever they would do to them. And the emperors themselves were no model of morality and righteousness. Their courts were famous for gluttony and drunkenness and adultery and incest and, and, and homosexuality and lesbianism and murder and intrigue. And one of the worst of them was a guy called Nero who <laughs> ruled as Paul wrote these words. He was in charge. Nero was the emperor. And just a few, um, I, I don't know how long it was, it, it doesn't actually, I couldn't really tell how long it is, but a short time after Paul writes this, Rome, there was a, a huge fire that swept through Rome, and Nero blamed the Christians. Nero said, it's the Christians done that, it's their fault. They set the place in fire. Let's kill them all. And that's where Paul was executed. Paul was executed by the very government he was writing to, to say, submit to it because it's appointed by God. Interesting, isn't it? I don't think that lets any of us in this room off the hook. Um, whatever influence or injustice we may suffer at the hands of government authorities, our submission is intended to acknowledge their appointment by God. Now, bear with me here, all right? Um, then he says an interesting thing in verse 3 of the same passage, Romans 13. He says, um, he says, do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good. So he says, if you don't want to be afraid of them, then do what is good. Keep the law and you won't be afraid of them. This makes sense. The way to eliminate fear is of that blue light and siren coming behind you is don't break a red light. All right? Don't park in my yellow box. Um, um, <laughs> um, don't drive in a bus lane. Oh, dear. Um, I just had to pay 45 pounds for that. But um, so, uh, so here's the thing. The way to avoid a letter from Her Majesty's tax office is to make sure you fill in your tax form properly and pay the tax you owe. And the way to eliminate the fear of the bleeper going off at Tesco's or Sainsbury's is to make sure your friends are tearing No, is to make sure that... Uh, <laughs> Sorry, is to make sure that you pay for the merchandise that you put in your basket. Those are ways that you keep the law, all right? So there's something about this. You have to keep the law, and if you keep the law, you have no reason to be afraid of them. And then he says this, the next line in 4a, I thought was really interesting. He says this, he says, for he is God's minister, talking about these government authorities, he is God's minister to you for good. That's interesting, interesting. Government is called God's servant for good. Rulers are tools of God to accomplish things that he wants done, and they're basically good things. So Paul saw the positive benefits of government as well, even bad government. For one thing, government protects us and our property, um, and the Romans at this time had eliminated most of the bandits to the hills. They'd pulled the parrots off the sea, and Paul could travel freely, reaching as far as Spain with the gospel before he was executed. So the government allowed that to happen. And furthermore, government arbitrates when there are disputes, and Paul had seen that at work. Because the Jews brought a contention about Paul to the Roman government, a Roman governor called Gallio in Acts 18, and he totally threw it out, just threw the case out. 
He said, it says, actually, his little phrase, it says, Galileo cared for none of these things. So Paul see that. And in addition to that, government provides services that benefit all of us. Roman roads, which I think we're going back to at the minute, actually. Um, Roman, if you, if you cycle, you will know what I mean. Um, Roman roads and ships had aided the advance of the gospel throughout the known world. So there was loads of good things that the government had done. So you might not be happy what, what some of the things that the government does, but the benefit from it, from the good it does. Like, like our NHS that we prayed for last, last Wednesday night in church. What about the NHS system? Like, I know it's struggling at the minute. I know it's under pressure at the minute. I know it's creaking and straining at the minute. But hey, for those of you who have been on mission trip, we're not too bad off, sure we're not. We're pretty good. Um, we've got our fire department. We've got our PSNI that protects us. We've got power in our homes. We've got water, running water. We've got sewerage service to our homes as well as roads and parks and schools and royal mail and relief agencies and courts and judges that hear our grievances. We've even got an army. We've even got a military that protects us against outside um, people coming against us from outside. So we can understand what Paul is saying. Our government with all its faults is actually God's servant for our good. And if we do what is right, we have nothing to fear from him. And then he says, there's another reason we must submit to it. Here it is. He says, therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but because of your conscience. Believers, well, everybody is born with a conscience. And our believer, as believers, our conscience are good tools to live by. All right? The unbeliever just fears getting caught. Um, but, but for us, as believers, we know the Scripture. We know that God says we understand the place of government in God's sovereign purposes. We know we must submit with a clear conscience to do what needs to be done. So, so most of us know what Paul is talking about. So if ever you've parked in a disabled park, your conscience, actually, I hope it does, your conscience grips you a little bit and you think, I should not be parked there. Um, funny, I was in here yesterday afternoon and the lady, I hope she's not in church today, but she got a parking ticket for parking in the disabled park out there, and man, she was cross. Boy, she was cross. I thought I better get out of here. But anyway, um, so our, our, if we fudge on our tax return, then our conscience gets the better of us. Or if we get stopped for speeding, or if we drive, you never get stopped for speeding, and you're just hoping nobody drives past that knows you. That ever happened to anybody? Um, um, but the Lord knows, and the Lord sees, and we want to stand before him one day without shame. And well, that's the exhortation to submit, and the reasons for it. But, but what does that involve? What specifically does it mean to submit? Paul wants us to help us understand this a bit better. And so he gives two big examples. You're going to love these. I know it's like watching paint dry this morning, but you're going to love this. Two big reasons, he's saying, to submit. And here they go. Um, sorry. Um, Number one, is, number one is pay your tax. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers attending and then you did everything. And then secondly, he says, therefore render to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. What's he saying? He's saying our government authorities, we, we submit to them in two ways. Number one, we pay our taxes. And number two, we respect and honor them. Paul, that's what he's saying here. They're, they're, they need us to pay our taxes 
and they need us to um, they need us to honor them in whatever way. Now, I've said all that to give you the last 10 minutes, all right? And um, because I know you're all thinking, I know what you're all thinking. Are there exceptions to submission? Is there, is there a reason, is there ever a reason that I don't have to submit to a government authority? So um, again, I'm trying to give you my view on this, all right? Without trying to give you my opinion, I'm trying to give you a biblical view. So where's the line? Is there a line? There's bound to be a line. And where is that line? And how do we place it? And, and I rack my head with that all week and, and, and started from Genesis literally and fired through the Bible to see if I could find references to where this line is. And I actually think there's a simple line. The more I studied it, the more I think there's a simple line. And I think the simple line is this. And the answer is when the government tries to make us disobey God's clearly revealed word. When the government asks us to disobey God's clearly revealed word. And there's a number of biblical illustrations of that. And so what I want to do is I want to give it to you in three areas. Three big areas, all right? So I think the first issue is on the issue of worship. And I've used Daniel here as a, a reference. So Daniel, most of you know that Daniel was favored by the king. He obeyed, and the, and the, nation, the nation of Babylon actually prospered because Daniel was there. Such was his submission. Joseph is another famous character that we could use for this, and Potiphar, even in the prison, places like that, where he became subject under authority. But here's what happened. When Daniel and his three friends, they obeyed the king of Babylon until, until he crossed the line. He tried them, Daniel won, he tried to get them to eat food that was offered to idols. Daniel said, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, I will, I'll follow you and all of that and I'll obey you, but you've crossed the line. I'm sorry, I can't eat that food because it's idolic and I can't eat that. Secondly, secondly, when, in Daniel 2, when he, when he said, I want everybody to bow down to this image. Daniel said, you know what? I'm sorry, but you've crossed a line there actually because I can only bow down to the true God. And then thirdly, in Daniel 6, when, when, when the member, the, the officials rallied this sort of protest against Daniel and got him, um, said, if anybody bows down and prays to any other God, they'll be thrown into the den of lions, right? And of course, Daniel, what does he do? He goes home and opens his window like every other day and he falls to his knees and he lifts his voice to the God of heaven. Why? Because he crossed the line. I'm sorry, crossed the line. So when it comes to issues of worship, I think it's a line crossed. The second one, I, I've called it an issue of witness. When the Jewish religious authorities called the apostles on the carpet for teaching in the name of Jesus, after they'd been told not to, Peter and John, they said this to the officials, they said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. We, we, we're under your authority, and we respect your position here. But see, we're of another kingdom. And I'm sorry, you've crossed the line. You've crossed the line. And I have to obey this authority rather than this authority. And thirdly, is the issue, I've called it the issue of morality. And I have three little examples of that. Um, when Pharaoh commanded the midwives, remember Pua and, I forgot the name of the other one, um, uh, commanded the midwives, the two midwives, to, to kill all the Hebrew boys as they were being born, and they disobeyed, and they'd done right. 
And God honored and blessed them for it because, you see, they'd crossed the line. He'd crossed the line. And then secondly, um, whenever the king of Jericho um, commanded that everybody be revealed, um, of course, we know that Rahab the harlot disobeyed the king, hid the spies, and God blessed her for it because, you see, it had crossed the line. And then thirdly, when King Saul commanded his son Jonathan to kill David, Jonathan disobeyed, of course, and helped David. And it was the right thing to do. And as believers today, we must obey those in authority until they tell us to do something that violates scriptural mandate when I think when it comes to worship, witness, and morality. That's my take on it, all right? Um, it's like a teacher insisting that his students watch something pornographic, all right? Or a boss that insists his secretary tells a lie on the phone or fudges a record. To me, that's over the line. And we have the advantage today, more so than the biblical times, more than they had, where we have legal means to influence our government in matters of justice and in righteousness. So, who is right? Who is right? It's interesting when you go to the next chapter, 14, and verse 5, Paul says this. He says, let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. So, so a lady in the first service said to me from America, she said to me, Phil, in, in the States, we lobby against the gun laws. Is that right? <laughs> well, I said, do you feel, have you prayed about it? Do you feel, she says, well, I have grandkids in, in, in schools that kids are, she said, there was a shooting in Florida a short time ago. She said, my, my grandchild's in a school in Florida. And she said, my heart did about three flips till I found out it wasn't him. And I said, well, obviously you need to do what God has called you to do. And if you feel it's right to lobby against the gun laws, then you have a right to do that. If you found it in scripture and you feel but you can't judge the person who doesn't do it because they feel it's not their thing to do. So Paul even says, let each one be convinced of his own mind. Make up your own mind. Be sure you're doing what you believe God wants you to do, all right? But before you disobey the law, please hear me in this. Before you disobey the law, please be sure you have a valid biblical exception because there's one thing abundantly clear from the Scripture that the general rule is submission. So, for instance, somebody said to me, how do you pray for Donald Trump? And I said, you say, Lord, bless Donald Trump. That's how you pray for him. Until God tells you to pray different, you pray for him. Until God highlights something different. So, the man who wrote this, again I say, the man who wrote this and told us this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit saw his tax money being used in cruel foreign wars, murderous gladiators killing the Christians and lavish and immoral banquets in imperial courts. And he said, pay your taxes and respect your leaders. All right? So, in conclusion to my studies, I have two statements to tell you about me. As and from now, I'm going to continue to pay my tax. All right? Philip will be really glad to hear that down the back. Um, so I'm, I'm going to continue to pay my tax, all right? And I'm sure you're glad to hear that. And I'm going to do my best to be a law-abiding citizen, and I'm going to make sure I don't ever drive in any more bus lanes, 
All right? 45 pounds is cruel for missing two streets. All right? Um, and I hope you will do the same because that's true to the Word of God. Now, having said this, having said this, before I close, can I say this? You can count. You can count on God to obey his own laws. You can count on that. You see, God has some laws. God has a law. You only really need passages like Isaiah 58. And you'll find that God has some laws. And they're laws of justice and righteousness and holiness. And he's a holy God. And when his holiness is offended, he is bound by his own character to punish that sin and separate from his presence eternally. That is God. He must follow through in his own character and his own law. And you can count on him to do it. Now here's a verse that I've kept. This is my key verse. And Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy, and he's saying, I urge you, first of all, that all petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. And then he says this, for kings and all those in authority, that, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So he's saying, pray for these people, pray for these people. So my question to you, when was the last time Rather than complain about the government, when was the last time in your prayer closet or in your prayer time you prayed for Theresa May? When was the last time you done that? Because it's really important that we do. Rather than complain about her and thingy Corbyn rattling over that table at each other and getting on like two kids, you, like, and, and everybody going, oh, 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 and that poor man, the Speaker of the House, almost taking a heart attack every time I watch the news. You know, we can complain about all that, but when's the last time we fell on our knees and prayed? When was the last time you fell on your knees and prayed for Carla Lockard? When was the last time you fell on your knees and prayed for John O'Dowd? These are people who God has put in place, listen for it, for our good. For our good. And so we need to pray for them. We need to understand that, that they need our prayers. A few years ago, I happened to be in Uganda with Al. I opened a new church there that many of you actually went to build over the years. And I went to open the, the church there. And while we were in Uganda, I had a non-scheduled meeting with an interesting guy called Laban Jujumba. And Laban Jujumba run an underground prayer movement during the days of Idi Amin. If anybody doesn't know who Idi Amin is, you should watch The Last King of Scotland movie. It's a phenomenal movie. It's quite brutal, but it does depict how brutal a man he really was. Died not that desperate long ago at 78, but he was a butcher. And they estimate that he murdered in around 400,000 people, ordinary people like you and me. And the reason they were murdered was because he just, he wanted their stuff. So he wanted their property and their homes and their... So that's, they were just murdered to, to feather his nest. He was an absolute butcher. They reckon that they can't actually tell how many of his aides that he killed. He was such a big superhero type of person. If there was the least threat at all, that person just disappeared. He just got them taken out. So he was a, he was a bit of a murderer. And um, Laban Jujumba said that he was leading this underground prayer movement at the time and they were praying for Idi Amin and they were praying for the government and, and, and he felt, they, they began to think, God, what way do we pray? What way do we pray? And they were praying that God would influence them, that God would turn his heart, that God in some shape or form would, would turn this evil for good and touch him by the Holy Spirit and he would love Jesus and all of that. And that's the way they were praying. And he said in one of their prayer times, God revealed this verse to them in Psalm 75, 10. 
I've put it in two versions. The ESV says, all the horns of the wicked I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. I love the New English version. It says, he will break the power of the wicked, but the power of the righteous will be increased. And he says, at that moment, as a prayer group, they have felt and sensed that God was saying, you need to change the way you're praying. It's time to take them out. It's time to pull them down. And he said, so they began to pray against that government. They began to pray against his rule and reign of terror. And within weeks, within weeks, it collapsed and crumbled. So here's the deal. When it comes, I said this the first service, I said again, when governments are put in place for economics only, you've got a problem. Adolf Hitler, Germany, was in a dismay. And he was an economic genius. And so he was placed in power to boost the economy, not for righteousness and justice. The opposite was true. And millions of people got killed. And if the church in Germany, I feel, had listened to Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, who got murdered, who was a German pastor and got murdered for his stance against the Third Reich, if they had a, if the, but the church went to sleep, and the church said, oh, no, Romans 13, we're supposed to submit to these government authorities. If, I think if they'd have fell on their knees and found out how they should pray, things might have been a little different. Because you see, here's the deal. Here's the deal. When you come to that passage that we just read in Timothy, the reason for all of this, he, he says, the reason, the reason we need to pray for them, because it's good and it pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved. The reason this world exists is to populate another kingdom. It's not to make us have good governments. We need to pray for them and we need the best governments we get because they're for our good and they will meet those laws. But we are under a higher authority. We belong to a kingdom that is not of this world. And so we have a world that needs redeemed. So do I believe our governments will change the world? No, I don't. Do I believe the governments are going to rewrite the story of our city and nation? No, I don't. Here's why I don't. Here's why I don't, right? Um, there's 11 mentions of Jesus in this passage. Let me read it to you really slowly, and, and I'm finished, all right? Ephesians 1, 20 to 23. All this energy issues from Christ. God raised him from death, set him on a throne in deep heaven, in charge of running the universe, not just the British government, not just the American flag. He's running the universe, everything from galaxies to governments, no name, no power, exempt from his rule. He is over all. He's our king. He's the one that we should bow our knee to. And not just for time, but not just for this time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all. He is the final word. One day he will say the word. He will close society and it'll be no more because he is the final word in everything. And at the center of all this, Christ rules us, the church. He's our king. He's our king. Should we submit to government authorities? Yes, we should. Should we pay our taxes? Yes, we should. Should we honor and respect them? Yes, we should. Should we pray more for them? Yes, we should. Instead of watching, David was saying to me earlier, instead of watching the silly little tweets and things that go on about them, why don't we give the time and bow our knee and pray for them? And then it says this. I love this. It says why? Because, you see, uh, the, the church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. This is so important. The world is peripheral to the church. What has happened? Acts 2. Acts 2. You see, the world was peripheral to the church. But something has happened in the last 2,000 years. And we now mirror ourselves in the world. So whatever happens to the world, it's going, oh, this 
society or there's a recession on. Things are really bad. I want to tell you something. There's no recession in the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven's exploits and finances are not depleted. God is not in recession. We are not subject to this world. And so here's, here's what Paul's saying. He says, the, the, the world is peripheral to the church. The, we, we need to get back to that, folks, where the world is coming. The leaders and the rulers and the kings and the politicians are coming and saying, society's falling apart. What is going on in that church? Because we need what you have. That's how powerful the church should be. And he said, the church is Christ's body, which he speaks and acts by. And he fills everything with his presence. My kingdom, Jesus said, John 18, is not of this world. Folks, it's the church. The church. The church is the sovereign will of God. It's the purpose of God. It's a central fact of his will. <laughs> we are the church. And that's what will rewrite the story of our cities and of our nations. Stand with me and we pray. Father, thank you today for your word. We know it's, a, I suppose, controversial in some shape or form, although your, by, your word and your scripture seem to teach us really clear to submit, to submit, to submit until you tell us other. And so, God, we continue to pray for our politicians. We pray, God, this day for Theresa May, for our prime minister. God, we pray that you would bless her. Lord, we pray for what is going on in Stormont at the minute and maybe even what's not going on. Father, we pray, God, for those involved that you would come and fill them with wisdom and with your presence. We pray for Carla today and, and uh, for John O'Dowds and our local politicians here in this little part of the world we live in. Lord, we ask you to bless them. Give them guidance and wisdom as they make the decisions that are for our good. And God, we commit this word to you and ourselves to you this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.